So here we are once more. The Squiggly Animation Podcast, episode... 98? Mm, One million and twelve. I see. I was close. (laughs) How the devil are you, Steve? Oh, I'm grand. Absolutely fine. Uh, Not at all feeling like a prisoner. Uh, Everything's wonderful and cheery. Smile. Good, good, good. How are you? Is it plucky optimism that I think is going to keep the spirits of the listening audience alive? Uh, I am, I'm fine. Um, not an enormous difference in mm. lifestyle, to be fair. I'm sitting at my computer all day without the tiny walk to work and back. Otherwise, everything else is exactly the same. Um, do occasionally venture out when, uh, you know, I, it's deemed the responsible thing to do. It's been coming along. It's been coming a long while, but you know, finally, there's a time where, you know, the animation lot have, have prepared all their lives for. You know, yeah, I am finding that I'm feeling increasingly less motivated to spend any time outside. Mm. Like initially, it was a sort of denial, like holding on to the. It's like, I oh, know it'll be fine. Oh, we can we can still go to the coffee shop, but we just won't use cash. And then you know, a couple of weeks later, it's like, okay, so we can't go places but we can we can walk a little bit you know in in open spaces and now i just don't want to be near anyone (laughs) yeah i'm walking behind someone because i need i needed to get out and get some sun into my retinas because they're going to atrophy otherwise and i'm walking you know about 20 yards behind a pair of uh, middle-aged women on the sidewalk they stop in their tracks, you know, they're a ways away, but they stop in their tracks, and one of them proceeds to bend over, double over next to her companion, and point her face at the ground and go, <coughs> and then stand up and carry on walking. It's like, you know what, I'm this far away, I'm going to cross the street anyway. Wow. I mean, what, what That wasn't of... an exaggeration either. That was I'd, good I'd old Southville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what kind of restraint must you show to not kick her up the arse? <laughs> Just fear of being close to her. <laughs> Just an explosion of germs. For maximum comfort, I should also uh, clarify that when she's in this position, hunched over, her hands are on her knees. Right. So there's nothing covering the sprinkler system of germs and gunk that's flying out of her face. <laughs> it's incredible, and you know, I'm, and it is sort of a, like the people's lack of self. That would have been bad anyway. Mm. Like that's one of those sort of things. Like you see it from time to time. People who just have no self-regard, and you're like, Jesus Christ, dude. But like now, it's like, okay, are you doing this aggressively? Like, are you are you trying to make a point with it? And the woman, like, with her, while her friend was spraying disease everywhere, Casa looked back at me and sort of gives me a bit of a death stare for, <laughs> for being, like, witness to this. And I was like, well, I'm just trying to live in the world. Like, I, I'm not going to apologize for witnessing what awful pieces of shit you guys are. Um... You tell anyone about this. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, hey, we'll be stronger for it, I'm sure. I don't think people have figured out the etiquette yet. We go for our little walk once a day. Uh, well, not once a day, we, we're too lazy for that. But we go for a walk every now and then. 
uh, and we go along the bike path and people will decide that they're going to take up the whole path. I mean, it is possible to go in single file. It is possible for there to be the regulation two meters between one another. Uh, it's, It's not a problem. You just have to just walk in a straight line. Your conversations are not that important. You can, <laughs> you can get yourselves in a nice, narrow stretch. And then as soon as you pass the people who, let's face it, could be absolutely chock full of germs, you can form together in that mass scrum that you were in. It's it's bringing out the best in me, Ben. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what life is. <laughs> It's also having a, a bit of an effect on, uh, well, on festivals and events and getting to the cinemas and all this kind of stuff that we're here talking about. A bit, yes. <laughs> it's everything's off. Yeah. And uh, basically 2020, the summer's cancelled. <laughs> you know, we reconciled ourselves with that. In its place, you know, a few um, interesting new developments and uh, innovations and such and that. It's been an interesting thing to watch, as I think I mentioned in the last um, Film Club podcast. Uh, Stuttgart is impending. That's going to be the first sort of full digital edition of an on, uh, of a festival I'll have experienced. So I'm interested to see mm. how it goes. You know, there have been others, uh, but this will be the first one I'll have sort of witnessed. You know, I'm looking forward to it still to an extent. I'm I'm still a bit sad that I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to see certain friends of mine who I was, you know kind of banking on um but uh you know there's always next year there is i think our, our friends at cardiff did an amazing job as well because uh, they fell onto it we've not recorded for a, a, a good couple of months but they fell onto it uh exactly the worst week mm. but what they have been producing online has been a real testament to that kind of ingenuity and uh, you know lauren and the team have been doing an incredible job I think they've really thrown themselves into that side of things. Hmm. And it has been encouraging to sort of see people embracing it because it's a new way of doing things. And you never quite know which way it's going to go. Are people going to be up for it? Is it psychologically going to be as big of a draw? So, yeah, it's been very nice to see. They haven't really missed a beat. Hmm. They've just been like, okay, this is the deal. How do we adapt to this? You know, and I think, I mean, the, the sort of night, uh, kind of animation nights has translated, I think, quite well to um, this format. Mm. And it's, work, it's worked incredibly well. It's that community uh, as well that they managed to kind of foster and keep together, which, you know, if you can do that online, then, I mean, literally, what's the difference? It's like you can attend a festival in your pyjamas, Ben. It's great. Yeah. I mean, some people were already doing that. Well, anima on the animation nights, but... Um... I suppose you you mean some people who uh, have questionable style. I'm just thinking of people like Barry Purvis who would do like <laughs> presentations in his dressing gown. Like he he was ahead of the curve. <laughs> Certainly was. Certainly is. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one watching how things are uh, are coming about. And if I could do anything uh, using this this tremendous guilt platform that we've got gilded platform rather that we've got Ben um, although we will guilt people now um, I would say absolutely support these festivals you know when Stuttgart comes along uh, how much would your Stuttgart ticket usually cost? 
Well, I mean, you'd be thinking of hotels and airfare mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. So you'd be in for a few hundred euros. This way, it's 20 euros max if you do the full kit and caboodle version. That gives you, you know, comparable access to contacts and uh, masterclasses and things like that. So, you know, there is a silver lining in that sense. Mm. I think when you see something like that and you see that it is so cheap. Now, I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about it being that cheap, but I am I think that this is the perfect opportunity for anyone to get involved and for anyone to kind of support these guys because uh, the fu- you know there will be a future where uh, this festival needs to run again next year and uh, and smaller festivals need to run again next year and so they need those donations they need those ticket sales they need that help uh, and so while uh, Stuttgart is uh, you know in lockdown in May you know what's a tenner it's it's next to nothing it's not the end of the world it's just a kind of uh, pause on the world hmm. but you know no anesy no zagreb recently announced that encounters which is uh, in the little further away it's in september but they've i think uh ed on the side of caution and they've switched to an online version you know relatively early on you know i think maybe you know, there's an argument to be made that that's the socially responsible move at this point. Yes. Because um, this whole thing of, like, every week in the news is like, so when's this going to end? Like, stop asking. Yeah, yeah. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. D- don't you know? It's the it's the 12th of September. <laughs> did, did you not know that that's when it ends? It's, it was an analogy. I've been a bunch of analogies because everyone's, you know, analogizing like crazy because they've got nothing else to do. But uh, I think the best analogy I saw was, like, you don't, throw away your parachute just because it started to slow your descent yes yeah, like you have to actually well. wait till you've hit the ground <laughs> um so this may be a bit of a long haul mm. um anyway you all know that but we're here with you we've got our uh, squiggly film club podcast to help throw a bit of distraction people's way that's been going quite well i've been enjoying the uh community vibe of voting for films and Having a little sit down and rewatch and things like that. Yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? And we we try not to talk about the situation in that one. I think this is a bit of a bit of therapy for you and me. But uh, <laughs> in the in the film club, we try to stay away from the fact that the 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 elephant in the room is that the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we're all trapped indoors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've had some good fun with those. We've uh, watched. Uh, it's Such a Beautiful Day by Don Hertzfeld. We've watched uh, My Life's a Courgette. We've watched Mary and Max. And then we watched Heavy Metal with uh, usually myself, uh, yourself and Laura Beth. But the last podcast we were, we were joined by uh, a app which made a honking, ringing or doinging sound every time breasts arrived, which was delightful. <laughs> Yeah, I think that by, you know, episode seven or eight, the app's going to be the star. <laughs> it'll have developed sentience and it'll have kicked us all out. Yeah. The audience will have fallen in love with it. <laughs> it's it's quite likely that this week we'll be doing uh, The Land Before Time. Yes! So that's up against an American tale. The votes are still being counted, folks. Mm. So uh, if you want to keep your eyes on our social media and the article... Uh, with the last podcast, there are various polls that you could contribute to. We're going to uh, put them all together and see what the ultimate winner is 
uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, if you'd like, we'll be doing a recording 7 p.m. on Thursday. That's what we've been kind of sticking to, and it seemed to work so far. So if you have any thoughts about the films, opinions, memories, sentimental musings, that kind of thing, ping them our way, we'll read them out. It'll be like a club. Yeah, except nobody gets badges. No, it's too, um, it's too risky. Too risky indeed, yeah. We don't want to get them posted over. Especially from uh, your neck of the woods where people are just hockling on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if people want to recommend films as well, we, uh, we're open for recommendations. Yes, that is true. Because certainly, I mean, we've got a big long list of mm. stuff that we want to get to at some point. But, you know, it's not a never-ending list. And I think that, you know, ideas, the stuff that we wouldn't have even occurred wouldn't have even occurred to us. I think we're quite receptive to. And sort of weird obscurities I'm kind of interested in, or stuff that's, like, maybe pretty terrible. (laughs) Whereas if it's a film that we all just like, it's like, oh, this bit's great. Oh, you know what else is coming up? Another great bit. (laughs) So maybe some of the the flawed films might make for some more interesting conversations. Who knows? We'll see. I did find when we were watching, I think it was Mary and Max... We were we were just kind of gazing at it longingly, and there were a few gaps in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen when you've got a app that makes honking noises. It doesn't, indeed. So, yeah, Squiggly Film Club in the podcast section. Muck in, if you like. What else has been going on? There's some news from uh, Mathville. Yeah, the call for entries is open now, uh, presuming this goes out uh, when it goes out. Uh, it's not going to go out instantaneous, is it? It's not the it's not the film club. Uh, so yeah, Manchester Animation Festival. We've got opened our call for entries. Uh, we are now open until the thirty first of July. So if you've got a short film, immersive film, student film, or commission film, you can enter into the film competition. And if you want to enter into the industry excellence awards, so if you know a writer a storyboard artist, a character animator, or a character designer, or in fact, if you are one yourself, uh, then you can submit for free to Manchester Animation Festival. Uh, You can submit via the website. We're not on Film Freeway or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, We do it through our own website. Uh, We've been making a few changes as well, because obviously we've just mentioned or alluded to the fact that... um, we're all in lockdown and there's a few issues with uh, the way that people are submitting their films to festivals or rather not feeling that they should submit their films to festivals. So we've been making a few changes to our own submission rules, really, because uh, we understand that some filmmakers are having a hard time and we want to reassure them that the films are kind of what the heart of what we do as a festival. So uh, we made a commitment to say that films that are submitted this year are eligible for next year as well. Mm. And let's say, for example, that MAF did have to go online in November and became an online festival, then we would screen the competition online. But then what we would do is we would invite everyone up to Manchester in 2021 for the next year's festival. We'd screen that work on the big screen in person uh, in the, at the festival and we out of competition. Uh, and so you get the best of both worlds. You get a chance at winning in 2020 and you get to see your film again in 2021 on the big screen in person. So hopefully that's something that might help filmmakers who feel that, you know, they've spent 
years of their life creating a film only for it to be released at a time when everyone's watching films at home as opposed to getting together and uh, really appreciating that festival buzz that we all love. Hmm. And uh, still free to submit. Absolutely. So there you go. I mean, it would be silly not to. And if you don't get in for 2020, then you can just submit again in 2021, so you get two cracks of the whip. What's to lose? Hmm. So that is all at uh, manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. Great. Uh, I'm glad you're reading the website out, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're also on Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Instagram, at MCR Animation. So uh, get involved. We're also... We have also announced the uh, brand new poster design this year, uh, created by uh, something of a Manchester institution, Hamo. Uh, he's this local artist and he's, he works on everything from beer cans to buildings. Uh, and he's created this fantastic layout for the for website and for the poster. So you can go to manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk and take a look at the artwork and see the design for this year's festival. Lovely stuff. So in the meanwhile... You guys are probably going to want to keep yourselves entertained with uh, various animated TV shows and films and whatnot. Uh, there's been a slate of new content and new uh, new series and things like that that have been popping up the last few weeks. Some of them have been quite interesting. Some of them I, I find a little baffling. Uh, and some of them I, I think are rather lovely. There's, I think, a bit of coverage on the Squiggly website about a new uh, Netflix series from the guy who did Adventure Time, which uh, I dipped my toe into, and it hasn't yet grabbed me and pulled me in. But it was an interesting approach. It's not one I'd sort of seen before. Have you seen this Mm. one? No, no, I've not. I've been uh, busy putting together the festival, so I've not had time for fun. I've been doing two things. I've been busy putting together the festival... And having constant Skype quizzes from friends and relatives <laughs> and <laughs> everything else. So, uh, no, I've got a big long list of stuff that I need to watch. Well, it's not going anywhere, I don't no. think. Good. Anyway, it's called The Midnight Gospel. It's an odd-looking show. It's, it's an interesting approach to the... Um, mainly, I think, the frame rate. Uh, this is something that I think is also um, a quality of the main uh, feature that we're going to discuss in a minute. I'm seeing there's a lot more sort of experimentation with playing around with that, like doing things not on ones or twos, but on, you know, stuff that's a lot more staggered and stylized, stuff that has a bit of a kind of almost UPA feel to it in terms of the approach to the timing. Mm. So yeah, this show, The Midnight Gospel, does that quite a bit, but sort of paired with this um, kind of sloppy design style as a style choice. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's sort of you know it has a lot of appeal. I think the color theory I think is wonderful, and but yeah, I haven't really given it a proper uh, college try. But uh, it's nice, I think, that they're doing something that looks different mm. because I, I think you know that's the big criticism of a lot of new shows is oh this one just looks like that one or everything has a kind of homogenous uniformity to it. And there have been a few shows recently that have really had their own kind of style stamp. There was that show last year called Tuca and Bertie, which I think ostensibly seemed to be cut from the same cloth as, as Bojack Horseman, having the same main designer. But in the execution, it was actually very different mm. and a, a real sense of its own personality. That was nice to see. Sadly, didn't get uh, renewed. And there was outrage when it didn't get renewed as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it was fueled by Big Mouth getting renewed for like 
three more years the same day. Yes, yeah. No, I actually quite like Big Mouth, but I could see why people would be annoyed at <laughs> that. And I, I don't really like the way Big Mouth looks. Like, I, my enjoyment of it is there are quite specific characters and story strands that I find entertaining, but I don't really enjoy it as animation so much. Hmm. It's it's quite ugly, and I, I don't I don't think they really care that it's ugly. Like I think that sort of thing is that they just need to get it animated and out there. But to look at like Tuca and Bertie was really really gorgeous, and it was also quite witty, like sort of genuinely witty. A little bit like overwhelming at times, like I, it sort of grated a, a couple of moments. But generally speaking, you know, I think as a show that had a lot of potential, it's a shame that that's not coming back. Anyway. I guess Netflix are throwing lots of things at the wall, and who knows what determines what they consider to be worthy of you know, continuation, because they're quite mysterious about that, like ratings and figures and things. They don't really, they're not hugely public mm. about how well their content does. Or what sort of determines if you know, a show's going to carry on. So it's, uh, The speculation is that they are uh, all the money in the world in debt, but they just keep spending money, which is great. Hmm. Which is like me at uni. That's <laughs> basically, and it worked out fine in the end. So, you know. <laughs> have you seen, I've just sent you a link to uh, talking about the kind of homogenous um, designs that some uh, TV series kind of lean towards. I've just sent you a link to an article about The Prince, uh, which is the a new animated comedy which is going to be on hbo max and it's from the producer of family guy uh, gary Janetti. uh there is mm. a clip available online of this so if you want to take a little look for that clip ben uh and prepare to be um well i'll tell you what i'll let you decide oh i did see yeah i did see yeah. this um and and is there any any other particular show that's kind of ringing is it ringing any bells <laughs> Well, I, I, <laughs> it's it's sort of astonishing that they got away with it. Yeah, because <laughs> this is it is I if I didn't know this was a new thing, I'd be like, oh, they're bringing it back. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can find a still from it and compare because maybe like my memory is that they're uh, more similar than they actually. No, they're exactly the same. Exactly. The, the I mean, what are you talking about, Ben? What 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 show are you talking about? <laughs> so yes, I, it, it's vaguely, vaguely reminiscent of a little television show called Two D TV. <laughs> Just a smidge. <laughs> you could also, I think, it's if Two D TV and Full English got together. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's the depressing elements of uh, Full English about it. I suppose, but because um, I, I mean, two D TV was was a innovator. If it was nothing else, uh, the idea that you can put together a two D animated show in a week, and then granted, a third of it was already pre recorded, but the other two thirds for it to be topical, for it to be really quick, and this is when was it? The early two thousands. Oh yeah, it was a while ago now. So you're not talking about like real-time rendering or you know puppet animation or anything like this. This is people working their fingers down to the bone, uh, creating this this animation. But also the writers writing the stuff and reacting to to the news. 
yeah, it, it was it was a bit something of a of an innovator, I would say, uh, 2D TV. Whereas full English was uh, a big old pile of shits. You know uh, what? I, I I genuinely don't remember a frame of full English. Really? Well, that's I good. do remember us talking about it and being very unimpressed by it. But yeah. there are quite a few shows that are in this vein that they just I I see them. And then the moment I, I don't see them, they're gone from my head. It's like my brain has sort of decided, okay, this at your age now, we only need to retain certain bits of crucial information. <laughs> Some stuff can just go. So there's that the Border Patrol or Border something, another yeah, recent Family yeah. Guy guy show, uh, Brickleberry. I remember the names because they're all got stupid names. Oh, it was border. It was border town. But I was quite enjoying you trying to come up with new titles for it. Like, like my dad would come up for new titles for things. What was the like the cop show animated series? It's quite recent. Yeah, Paradise PI, I think. Yeah, they just sort of come from the same factory of, you know, how crazy and edgy can we make this? Yeah, because I don't know if you noticed, but they're cartoons. Cartoons what? saying rude words. <laughs> what are, what are we like? I just don't think the subject matter. What's this show called? Is it called The Royals? Uh, or the it's Prince? called The Prince. Okay. So there's the show on at the moment in England about the royal family. It's a live action comedy show that's absolutely dreadful. Like it's it's valueless. What, what are you talking about? It's got uh, Harry Enfield in it. That's amazing. The Windsors. What are you talking about, Ben? It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me embarrassed to be alive. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so you're not impressed. I I wouldn't call it appointment viewing. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, perhaps this is a, a, a subject on which we're divided, but I just don't think it's that funny a scenario. To yeah, mind that, that's cr- yeah. I'm I'm completely with you there, but I think I think the Windsors knows that it's a bit crap. And it knows that it is taking the Mickey out of it, so it it puts it, it lays it on a bit thick. It doesn't lay it on with a sort of a sarcastic swagger or any of that sort of stuff. And I, I mean Harry Enfield. When I was a when I was a kid, uh, how old would I have been when um, Harry Enfield and Chums were on the TV? I was something like twelve, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. He took the Mickey out of teenagers, Ben. Teenagers. No one was safe. He went there. He went there, yeah. Teenagers, scousers. Uh, what else did he take the Mickey out of? You know, it just being a baby, being a baby. <laughs> the whole, the whole spectrum. Every, everyone, uh, everyone got a, a, you know, a punch on the chin. Um, but yeah, he's he's for my for my money one of the best sort of impressionists, and I think that his impression of Prince Charles is just is just incredible. I'm sorry to, to, to gush about it when you clearly don't like the show. But, um, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, it's not appointment viewing. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I was enjoying myself thinking about that amazing show, Ben. What were you saying? <laughs> well, maybe that's the issue then, is that um, <laughs> this show is going to try too hard to um, build itself on the foundations of brilliance that the other show is already established well more power to him Mm. um yeah (laughs) 
recently, I think last week actually, uh, was released a original Netflix film called The Willow Bees. Mm. And uh, this is an interesting one. It's uh, from Bron Animation, uh, in association with Netflix. And I believe it went straight to Netflix. I don't think it got a theatrical run. But it's like with this other show I mentioned, what you immediately sort of get from it is, okay, these are people who are... Well, this is a team that is experimenting and having some fun with, you know, what we can do with the production design, the frame rate, the way we can get a performance out of these characters. And it mixes things up quite a bit. Something that I think really kind of pushed that forward last year would have been that Spider-Man film. Yeah. Which everyone adored. And um, I could care less about Spider-Man, but I quite liked that film. Like, I think that certain films, you know, there's a quality to them from a production standpoint that just make them sort of eminently watchable. Mm. And that had a lot of visual ingenuity and the way it kind of, you know, it had this meta angle that gave them the ability to, you know, justify mixing a bunch of different styles together. But the end result was actually something sort of unexpectedly appealing and I think perhaps a bit trendsetting. Now what I'm starting to see is shows and films that mix it up without that meta angle. Mm. It's just sort of like, so this is how this character behaves and this is how that character behaves or this is how people behave when they're in this environment versus that environment. So this was a fascinating watch. I, I enjoyed it uh, from a production design standpoint and there were some really nice bits of animation uh, the sequences with the baby. Because yeah. my, my, I, I, I'm going to be brutally honest. My heart sank a little bit when one of these sort of inciting story devices was, and there's a baby on the loose. You sort of feel like we're over that. Yeah. Like between Roger Rabbit and, you know, Boss Baby and all the various times we've seen the baby, uh, uh, Monsters Inc., the baby kind of causing havoc wherever it goes, running around the place. You almost feel like that's going to be tapped out. But this was really nicely done. Yeah. I, I thought it was a lovely sequence. The premise of the film is it's a kind of sort of modern children's, not fairy tale, but like children's sort of... Cautionary tale. Yeah, kind of a Roald Dahl vein. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely Roald Dahl. It's adapted from a children's book uh, by uh, Lois Lowry, and it may be a book series which would explain some other story stuff, which I'll get to in a minute. So it's about a bunch of kids who have just absolutely terrible, terrible parents who could care less about the kids. And the parents decide to just go away and leave the kids to fend for themselves. And that's about it, really, as far as what brings everything together. Hmm. The story itself is a little unusual also because it feels almost, there's a kind of anthology quality to it. And I think that they that may be a result of being adapted from a series of books, if that is indeed the case. What it reminded me of a little bit structurally was, do you remember there was a lull with the show Futurama? And for a while to bridge the gap between episodic stories, they would do these like TV movie length yeah. specials. And they would cut them up into episodes. Mm. So I'm been recently re-watching Futurama. That's been one of the things that sort of lockdown has brought me around to finally get around to doing. Because I never actually made it to the very end, so I thought I'd, I'd see if I could. It's 
just an aside, what a great show that is. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The first just, four or five years in particular is so effing funny. Which I always knew, but I, it's been a while. It picks up again. That's the oh, thing. The, I mean, uh, the, what you're going dis- to discuss now, no doubt, are the movies where people were disappointed. Now, I didn't, I didn't necessarily hate the movies. I thought there were some really nice moments in there, some really clever bits and pieces. Uh, but then the series picks up again because uh, Josh Weinstein takes over, who, right. as we know, did the best seasons of The Simpsons with uh, Bill Oakley. Yeah. And so he picks up uh, Future Armor from then on, and it just instantly picks up again. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's good to, to know. I'm certainly still enjoying it as it goes. It, it, it does feel different from time to time. I hadn't realized people didn't like them, but I now that you bring it up, the movies felt a bit odd to watch because what happens is there is a sudden pacing thing that wasn't in the show when it was sort of limited to 20 minutes a pop. And mm. they're kind of keeping story strands contained within what will eventually be episodes when they would cut it up into episodes later on. And that then makes the long form thing when you watch it in one go a little bit disjointed. There's a quality about this film that's, I think it succeeds more, but it does feel like we're watching a series of stories connected together. So you have this initial story of it's the kids and they've been left on their own and there's a baby in the mix. Um, Mm. What are they going to do? And then it moves on to, okay, they found a place for the baby, but now they've got a new nanny. What, how are they going to get on with the new? And so it's like each part of the story is like in a stage. Yeah. Um, it could have actually worked as a series, like a miniseries in that respect, mm. but quite unique within animated features, which so often stick to like one story, if we're really honest, like so many of some of the best films, don't get me wrong, but so many of them have the exact same story of slightly underdog protagonist. Uh, I got to prove myself, damn it. Oh, I've met this other underdog. Okay, we're, we're on this trip together. Oh, no, I, I had to do something, and now we've fallen out. Um, oh, we, we, we're friends again right before the final act, and um, we didn't necessarily quite get what we set out to, but we got, we got something better, something we didn't even realize we wanted. No. I just described 15 Pixar <laughs> films. <laughs> Yeah, it, it add, yeah, the, the the old buddy movie uh, formula. And sometimes it's not necessarily like one person and one other character. It's like one group of characters. They meet up with another group of characters. Uh, there are variants on it, but the the overall structure is pretty formulaic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can enjoy it for you know the dialogue and the the uh, animation and the characters and stuff. It's you know, like I say, they they obviously are popular and successful films. So it's it, I found it interesting that a film would be bold enough, I think, to sort of move away from that. Yeah, and that was quite that was quite refreshing, to be honest. Yeah, I suppose it, uh, what I like about is that kind of that anthology flavor that you're talking about there, Ben. Um, and I do speak to the director Chris Pern about this, and he's quite happy with the fact that we think that the story is going to be about them finding this baby, and then it goes, "We're off this way now." And then it's about yeah. something else. And it's, we're off this way now. And then it's about something else. So the film doesn't quite let you rest. It doesn't let you think, like, for example, um, in Toy Story, they're always trying to get back to Andy uh, before moving day. In Shrek, they're trying to get back to uh, the kingdom of Far, Far Away. Um, not Far, Far Away, what was it? Then you get to Lord Farquaad's um, 
kingdom for the wedding or whatever. Um, Sh- Shrekville. Shrekville. Then you get back to Shrek Town for some Shrekking. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so everything's got its kind of, you know, A to B. And then whatever the sidekick says in between is just great. <laughs> this film doesn't yeah. quite rest uh, so easily on, on that formula. Um, Chris Pern, people might know from the Cloud with a Chance of Meatballs films. I think he was a storyboard artist uh, on the first one, but he was co-director uh, on the second one. And I do always look at those ones, those are Sony Pictures animation films like Spider-Verse was, as a major chain turning point in the fortunes of feature uh, family feature animation. Uh, you can place that film which you may or may not care for, along the likes of uh, Hotel Transylvania, which you may or may not care for. But you look at what they did in terms of breaking the rigs, in terms of twisting the models, changing the frame rates, pushing the poses, really taking this kind of very, uh, you know, because stop motion was going to a, a way where it almost looked like it was, sorry, um, CG was almost going away, where it almost looked like it was stop motion. It, you know, the, the characters were quite bound to their own mass, almost. Whereas yeah. when Gendy Tartakovsky got in the director's chair for for Hotel Transylvania or, you know, when the guys were working on um, Cloud of the Chance of Meatballs, then uh, was it Miller and Lord for the first film, then the characters all of a sudden, they were snapping away in this, as you described, kind of like a UPA style animation. Uh, and it's... It's fresher. It's funnier. It it's it really adds so much more depth to the characters, and it changed the way that we look at animation. It's yeah. not about making sure that the skin looks just like skin or that the hair moves just like hair. It's about making people laugh and making people enjoy what they're watching, uh, and that's what the Willoughby's does. Mm-hmm. And I think it does all this while. I mean, it, it's interesting because it it does embrace a little bit of a kind of handcrafted aesthetic in terms of the texture approach and the um, environment, like the lighting approach and stuff like that. But it also still keeps that, you know, energy and that commitment to it being animation extremes, things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect from puppetry, but with a kind of puppetry aesthetic. And that's quite a nice combination, I thought. Hmm. I do like what they do with the characters as well. In terms of a character by um, Terry Crews voices it, Commander Melanoff, and yeah. he's the owner of this candy factory. And you might look at a picture of the Willoughbys and think, yeah, okay, that's the style of the film. But then Commander Melanoff comes from nowhere and looks like he's from Sergeant Pepper or something. He's just this big, square, yeah. ridiculous character. It's like uh, the mayor in yeah. the Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So he's just this kind of almost grotesque within that world. But he's just he fits perfectly, yeah. And and they don't care about mashing those styles together, and I, I, that's really bold. Mm. And I did enjoy the, there was a certain commitment they had to the tone of the stories and the tone of like, the universe that I imagine comes directly from the books. In that the initial premise is it's about these awful parents that don't care about their kids and they go away, and there is an element toward the end of finding the parents again and Mm -hmm. reconciling with them. And the way that that is dealt with, 
I won't say what happens, but the what does happen, I found very gratifying because <laughs> yes. it isn't what you'd expect from you know a lot of other studios. With the dad, the parents would have, I think, more of a kind of clear cut, revelatory moment. Be a little bit more turned around, but there's a there's a consistency. I think that you don't necessarily get in other films with this film. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's really nice to have characters that don't have a character arc in a film. Yeah, uh, and but but that absolutely uh, create the story. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's on Netflix now. And uh, shall we hear from Chris Pern? Yeah, let's hear from Mr. Chris Pern. The first question we've got is about the story, because it is something different. Uh, Something that hit me immediately was uh, that seeing a movie such as The Willoughby's, it's something different to what I've seen before. And I wonder if streaming a movie uh, like this gives filmmakers such as yourself more freedom from the traditional format of theatrical distribution and whether you've experienced that as part of the uh, part of the filmmaking process is there a different consideration for the audiences for the artists are things weighed up differently uh, how has the yeah. process been in uh, creating a movie uh, for a streaming platform I mean to some extent it's uh, it's still the same you know um, world and that we're asking an audience to sit still for 80 90 minutes and and consume the material so you know that challenge that you put the material through to be entertaining and to and to fight its way into a film is still the same but the 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 tone and the ability to sort of i think talk about things that are are different um and not necessarily safe is is um is available to us now as as filmmakers in, in a world where you know the content is received you're just you're asking an audience to 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 find it in a different way and um what i really appreciate is that i think netflix has been supportive in helping us find the best version of this film and helping us sort of really find the the workshopping creative you know uh, you know, flow and rhythm and, 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 and like that we're saying the, what we think we want to say and, and, and finding our audience to, to sort of like audition that material. But ultimately, you know, we were, we were always sort of allowed to, to explore what this, what the, what the story needed to explore and wanted to explore. And, and that came from the book. And ultimately that, that sort of uh, story that challenges tropes, that challenges the cliches of, uh, in her in her novel, it was literary children's fiction. In our movie, it's it's children's films, and I think I think um, Netflix has been supportive about us being you know honest to that mission of being subversive and and finding our own sort of tone in that. Fantastic, and obviously yeah. tone comes through the style. I mean, uh, it's expressive and it's exciting, and not uh, not unlike. Uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, and obviously you directed Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too with Cody Cameron. Um, yeah. And there's a lot more texture to it and a lot more expression. Uh, you've really pushed on this kind of uh, tangible style. And for years, we've seen amazing art of books. I've, I've got a big pile of them behind me, uh, yeah, including uh, the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 1 and 2, which are, I would say, for my money, the best of the art of books. Um, uh-huh. But uh, what's in those? We've started to see that kind of artistic style spill on over onto the screen. And I wonder yeah. if this is something that was a conscious decision uh, and were you given more freedom to be allowed to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even a question about, I think, given freedom. I think some of that choice was was there at the beginning, and it was a thing that everybody got excited about when we were, um, you know, gaining momentum on the film. Uh, very early on, like this idea of the movie being a cat's tale, and, um, you know, the, the, the idea that the narrator was, was really driving the point of view. It, it, Kyle McQueen, my production designer, he got excited about the idea of, like, like that point of view being being like almost like a little lower to the ground, a little closer to things. And so how do we make the world feel miniature? And and then that kind of led us to this idea of owning the cartooning principles that I was really passionate about coming from my 2D days, which also translates over into stop motion. As you know, I worked at Ardman for, for many years. And this idea of like really that handmade approach to this to the to the art, to the style all kind of fed together in this loop of creating this textured world. Uh, we have a store in North America called Michael's, which is like a craft store. Um, and so the idea was like, could we go to Michael's and buy all the materials to make this movie? And that challenge sort of, you know, became, I think, one of the, the, the big cornerstones of the film. And, and part of that came from, like, because there is some, uh, you know, the potential for the story to be dark. I never wanted to make a dark movie. And, and as you mentioned, like coming from, uh, like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and, you know, uh, Shaun the Sheep, like, like I, I love, I love optimistic stories. I love physical comedy. I love, like, I love the idea of earnest characters failing. That all feels exciting and funny to me. And it comes from, I think, where I grew up and like SCTV and sketch comedy and Saturday Night Live. Like I love, I love false earnestness. So we wanted to create a world where every frame was pretty and every frame had a sense of fun. And so even when the movie goes into its darker moments, there's still like a feeling of that handmade world and that fun that is like there for the audience to, I think, hang on to. So yeah. that was that was sort of how that all evolved. Fantastic. Well, even down to the character designs as well, obviously the Willoughbys themselves, uh, they're made of yarn, effectively. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you have Terry Crews' character. Uh, he's this enormous, uh, uh, is this enormous man who's almost made out of a cross between something from Yellow Submarine and a sweet shop, the Commander <laughs> yeah. uh, Melanoff, uh, uh, this larger than life character. I knew better, obviously, than Terry Crews. Uh, how did the, how did you go about the character designs? Well, I mean, it's, it's working with like, really amazing smart people like uh Craig Kelman who I've worked with on other films including the Cloudy franchise uh, like he's I think he's honestly one of the uh one of the cartoon geniuses of our time and um one of the regrets that you always look back on films is like we didn't get as close as we could have to what Craig was trying to to do like those simple icons and I think Willoughby's was like that's the challenge and Kyle McQueen my production designer was always like really about that. It's like, let's get as honest as we can to the initial idea. And so when Craig came up with our lineup, the, the, the notion that the Willoughby's were serving a name, their name Willoughby. And that it was it, the pitch on the movie was always like gray gardens meets the rest of development for kids. So it's like that idea of like this family legacy is this yarn that sort of connects them. And this yarn, which is a metaphor for family could also be the thing that ties you up, the thing that like kind of can become like a shackle or a noose. And so, you know, the idea of like, like finding yourself in the yarn is, is, is a, is a big theme in the story. And it also works in cat. cat like yarn. Um, and so each character kind of has that idea. So the idea that Terry Cruz's character is kind of like a tempur mattress with arms, mm-hmm. uh, was always sort of 
funny to me. And, um, you know, looking at the tropes, I mean, you know, he was based on, you know, Daddy Warbucks from Annie or Willy Wonka from the Roald Dahl books where, you know, there's this idea of a gruff exterior hiding in a sweet eccentric inside. And so the, the, the thing that Lois Lowry had in her, in her novel was this idea of him being that archetype and who better to sort of flip that archetype on his head than a, than a, you know, a genius like Terry Crews, who's sort of like, there's no way that you can't meet him to not feel his warmth. And so the idea is that, you know, when you approach that, that world that he's created, it's very hard exterior, very industrial, very square. But once you scratch the surface, there's a sweetness there that is sort of honest and, and, and what he needs is, is that sweetness brought out. He needs, he, it's like a candy man who doesn't have an audience. And, and so like the kids kind of represent that growth in him. So design and, and story were constantly being challenged by each other as, as the film went through the process. Uh, and obviously he's, he's woken up by the arrival of a, of a tiny baby girl as well, which, is animated in a way which I've never seen a baby being animated before. Uh, well, we, we comedy wise, we always wanted the audience to feel okay with baby. Like, like, like this idea of like you get this, you get the idea that we should have concern and worry for babies. That's we're all hardwired to feel that. So for the comedy of like flipping that is like turn her into Mr. Magoo, turn her into the thing that sort of challenges everyone else's lives, and by you know everybody's reaction to her we expose i think where their characters arcs are going to go how they how they how they change and how they grow but she was never she's the MacGuffin. she's never the thing that we're actually worried about in the story so yeah and that's something <laughs> that, that comes early, earlier on in the film it is it is seen like oh this is where the story's going and then something else comes up and then something else comes up and there's it, it's it's quite a devious story in terms of uh, direction yeah. which it takes yeah, I mean, that's, and again, I think some of that comes from the source material, but also from, like, I think going back to, like, consuming this movie on Netflix, I, when I look at what I watch, I love television. I've been, I've been in love with HBO going back to, like, the days when I'd line up on Tuesday to buy the box sets of Sopranos. And what I love about, like, that long form narrative is you never tell where it's going to go and the twists and turns of, like, you know, ensemble stories is, is, is something that I feel is really fun to challenge and fun to play with. And so we were trying to do that in this film, you know. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> obviously, the, the animation we've talked about uh, uh, briefly as well, but some of the characters, such as obviously Tim, being this gangly youth, um, uh, his, his nickname throughout the film, uh, Skinny skinny Britches, is it? Or skinny Bones. Skinny Bones, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Very, very I don't pardon. know if they dub it in English. <laughs> no, 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 skinny, skinny bones. I'm, I'm just being too English. Apologies. Um, I love skinny britches. I think that's great. <laughs> well, there's still time to edit. You've got two days. Um, <laughs> um, but there's, I don't, I don't, I don't know. If, <laughs> anyway, you got Lynn laughing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a, he's a skinny bones character, and and there's a lot of real snappy poses in that animation there. Uh, being yeah. a storyboard artist yourself, were you really heavy on the storyboards? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I always loved about, um, actually, to use another British reference, so Faulty Towers was really, I think, one of the key uh, influences. So John Cleese, like, you know, John Cleese is really tall and gangly, and he's always trying to hold his his uh, his pose, but, you know, he's fantastic at physical comedy. And, like, the, the repression uh, being released through foible 
is is was was really like the 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 big cornerstone of Tim's character. Um, one of the things that the animators picked up on really early was that Tim is trying to be a grown up, but he's a kid, and he's a kid that is really you know kind of uh, sheltered, and he's sort of stuck in his in his idea of what a, an adult is. And in the mistake of the movie that he starts out with is that he he needs to be a kid before he knows how to be a grown up, and so. Finding the comedy and how he moved as a grown up, I think, became the big, the big challenge to our animation team. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, like telling the story without any, any words. And so when we talked to Craig about designing the Willoughby's, I wanted them all to feel like they were connected in shape language, but they were also mummified. And so the fact that Tim is wearing these short pants, like the backstory is that you know his parents gave him those when he was a kid. He just grew into them, and his legs just kind of shot out the bottom and. So all of that sort of comes that that those layering of how a character moves comes from this idea of thinking about who they are, where they come from, and how he's sort of stuck in his own idea of himself. Um, Skinny Bones actually came from Maya. That's what she calls her her son. So um, that's a it's a very honest thing that she just started riffing with that in, in the room. I, I, it's uh, one of those happy accidents that happened on film. Fantastic. Well, how was it working with the voice cast? Uh, obviously, you've got Martin Short um, uh, as 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 well uh, uh, as Maya Rudolph. You mentioned with Terry Crews, Will Forte, all these all these um, uh, big names uh, who bring something unique. Uh, obviously, Ricky Gervais also, but it's not a film that is leaning on any particular. It's not like a big name film. The film the film isn't doesn't sacrifice as some films do. For the for the sake of the big name, all these people fit yeah. well into their roles. I mean, I didn't know who was who until I looked at IMDb and went, "Oh, well, that's perfect. That works perfectly." <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of the journey, uh, I think, in casting is always is, is that challenge is trying to find what you know, not just the persona of the actor that will represent a poster, but what that actor's voice can bring to the table. And um, you know, having spend many years uh, working in animated comedy and having good teachers myself. Like uh, I have to give credit to Miller and Lord and our casting director at Sony or casting agent at Sony, uh, Mary Hidalgo for always like Mary Hidalgo always pushing that the voice is more important than, than the poster and that, you know, finding that sort of person who can occupy a character. Once you cast that right, then when you go to the booth, you end up sort of finding stuff that you didn't expect. Um, and Maya is a big example of that. Like I, I've, I've been a big fan of her and hers going back like to SNL when I first, you know, encountered her. And I've always loved how she paired with Forte, like, you know, the MacGruber movies and, and, and like she, she's, she's sort of in that, that SNL world. And so the idea of having her and Forte together felt like a good comedy pairing. But at, at the beginning, she was the broad character. And it really came from her and the fact that she's a mother and the fact that she's really sensitive as an artist and that sensitivity sort of evolved into her becoming that walking pug. And so ultimately she became more the straight person in the scene and, and like leaned into the sincerity of her emotional component, like the fact that she is the love coming into these children's lives. Like that discovery was something that we wouldn't have been able to probably craft if it wasn't for her being there and her talent and her ability to read a character and find that. And then that just made Will Forte find her. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like finding the right people that know how to play off of each other was, was, was really important. And that was a big reason for Jane Krakowski and Martin Short, like being a fan of Martin Short for my whole life. Like mm. he's like 
like I've known him in my head, like I was walking up to see TV at the age of four years old, you know, Ed Grimley was huge. And, you know, I think the, the, uh, seeing him with, um, with Jane Krakowski and different sitcoms and, and, and like kind of knowing how funny the two of them are together was a big, a big reason to cast that. Fantastic. You know, finding those. How important is it to tell movie, uh, to tell stories such as the story of the Willoughby's in this day and age? Um, I mean, again, like going back four years, I didn't realize that this day and age would be this day and age. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately a film sort of is something that hopefully is artistic in a way that it has a metaphor quality and that it can sort of look against its, the world that it's, it's playing in. So, you know, at the time, I, I feel like as an artist, there was a, um, there was a shift in the world going towards this, you know, walls kind of being built and doors closing and, and, you know, the lines being drawn between who we are as people. And I really loved the idea of talking about this from the perspective of a family needing to open the doors and break out of the walls and sort of like finding their own way, um, not serving a name, but choosing, like choosing their own pathway, choosing their own yarn, I guess if I could use a metaphor, you know, to, to, and I think that, weirdly enough translates really well to a time where we're all a little stuck and we're all a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, pushed together. And I think hopefully when this all lifts, people will be able to run away from their homes and have that release of kind of humanity, which is about connecting. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't have planned it, but there's definitely stuff that makes me think, you know, in, in terms of how this sort of touches the world that we're living in now. Yeah. Oh, it's a very uh, uh, immediate uh, world that we're living at the moment, I would say. But how have, has the film been affected by the changes, uh, uh, any restrictions that are going on over in the States or uh, no. uh, in the, it, obviously during the promotional aspects now, uh, we're not allowed to, <laughs> to meet face to face. Yeah, there's, there's that stuff. I mean, like certainly like, you know, there's the, personal kind of, you know, I guess disappointment of not being able to sit in a dark room with all the actors and, you know, um, friends and family and, and have that theatrical experience. Mm -hmm. But the film is always designed to be kind of consumed this way. So in, in a weird way, it sort of fits into, I think some of the, some of the things that are, are happening right now. Uh, again, not like, you know, and, and, and not like that was by design. And I, I, I think like the, uh, as far as content and stuff goes, like there's nothing, nothing there that, you know, we have to respond to. I, I, I think it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful that, you know, for myself and for the crew that, you know, we'll have an audience and maybe this film will make people laugh and feel a little better for an hour or so. I'm <laughs> certainly Social will. distancing. <laughs> <laughs> as oh. I am. Yes, as we all are, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Chris Hearn, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today and very best of luck with The Willoughby's, which is on Netflix now. Thank you so much and I wish you all the best and I hope you safe. stay safe over there. You too, thank you. That was Chris Pern, director of The Willoughby's, which is available now on Netflix. Check it out. So, uh, what else do we have to yammer on about, Ben? I think that's all I got for now. Um, yeah. You know, it's a... Uh, Slow news quarter. Well, yeah. <laughs> Everything is cancelled. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. 
keep listening to the Squiggly Film Club. We'll be back with uh, this podcast, I'm sure, fairly soon. Uh, there's some stuff coming up in May, actually. I'm quite keen to talk about um, some new TV stuff as well. So, hey, we'll be back. Hmm, absolutely. But in the meanwhile, send us your film suggestions. Vote every week. Uh, we've got the Squiggly chat room open again. So you can join us on Tuesdays for Chatty Tuesdays. If you've got any Squiggly Cell promotions, get them over on Twitter on a Wednesday and then join us on Thursday from 7 o'clock for the Squiggly Film Club and get your votes in for the films as well. Excellent. And don't forget to swing by ManchesterAnimationFestival.co.uk and check out their call for entries. Before then, if you're feeling up for some animation festivities, you might want to virtually visit the Stuttgart Animation Festival and there are three options for experiencing it. A free edition, equivalent to their open-air festival on Schlossplatz, streaming access to the entire official selection for €9.99, and for professionals, the Pro Edition grants digital access to an assortment of masterclasses, presentations, and the complete animated video market for a mere €19.99. As we discussed, when you think of what you're saving on airfare and accommodation, it really is a steal! So check out itfs.de for more info. If you're looking for some lockdown reading, I've been assured that the squiggly book Independent Animation, Directing, Producing and Distributing Your Animated Films will remain on sale right through to the end of May. So if you fancy grabbing a copy at a whopping 20% off, now's the time. In fact, if you get the ebook edition, it's 35% off. Goodness me. And that's if you buy it directly from the publisher at Routledge.com. And if you're looking for some lockdown viewing, the BBC Arts special Get Animated, featuring new work by various pals o squiggly, such as Ross Hogg, Will Anderson, Ainsley Henderson, and our very own features writer and esteemed animation academic Laura Beth Cowley, alongside a variety of new animation talents, is available on the BBC iPlayer for the next 11 months. Also, I hadn't realised before, but the documentary Secrets of British Animation, featuring myself and Steve pithily weighing in on some UK animation high points, was repeated right after, so that's also back on iPlayer for the next month or so. It's a great look at the early days of Ardman, the wonderful work of Joanna Quinn, the elusive Chuck Steele movie, all sorts of other great bits and bobs. Definitely give it a look. Well, until next time, I've been Ben Mitchell, at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. I've been Steve Henderson at Mr. Underscore S Underscore Henderson on Twitter. Of course, the website is squiggly.co.uk, at squiggly on Twitter, at squiggly animation on Instagram, and it's squiggly magazine on Facebook. Get following you. <laughs> Let us lead you. You've got such a rapport with the kids, Ben. Oh, yeah. That's my soothing ASMR voice. Right, well, until next time, happy isolated animating. See what you did there. Uh, <laughs> bare minimum of effort. <laughs>